Man, I am, I am excited about today. You know, I, I love worship. I said that in the first service, and I really do mean that. And not just that the music's great and the band's amazing. And JB, you're killing it on sound, by the way. I said that in post-production. Like, they, you know, it sounds amazing, and we got talented people, but it, all that can be train wrecked immediately if that guy doesn't know what he's doing. But worship is it's just this amazing thing that God's wired into us. All of us are worshipers. And as we dive into Romans chapter 10, I really want to get our, our framing right because I think coming off of Romans chapter 9 where we're feeling the sovereignty of God, you know, and this whole idea that, that God is the one that, that moves towards us. God is the one that it was reaching down into our, our sinful spiritual death and pulling us out of the pit. Like it wasn't us, you know, making a wise decision moving towards him. So we, we kind of got in that place, that uncomfortable place of realizing that we didn't do anything when it comes to salvation. God is sovereign, but yet we are completely and totally responsible for our sin. How those things work together, human brain will explode if we try to get our mind wrapped around that. But it is important for us to dive in because we do not want to serve a God that's, you know, where he's biting his nails and, you know, worried about what's going to happen next. But we really believe that he is the firmness under our feet like Beth was talking about. But moving into to Romans chapter 10, we begin to zoom in on, on how we interact with God and what, it's, what it means for us to begin a relationship with God. As the Holy Spirit begins to move, the things that happen in our heart where we confess and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the Apostle Paul is talking about the Israelites and their stubbornness and their, their lack of wanting to move in that direction despite the evidence. Like, not just like evidence that people walked with Jesus. Like there was still people on planet Earth who were like, I watched it all go down. I saw him perform miracles. I saw him crucified. And then I saw him walking around after that alive from the grave. And I saw him ascending into heaven. But there's people that had experienced the power of God beyond that. Miracles, an amazing explosion of the church. But yet there's a lot of Israelites that are still not coming to know Jesus. Like there's, and he was, he's heartbroken and praying for them, but he's, he's bringing the, the, the gospel in its most simple form here in Romans chapter 10, this idea of confessing and believing. And the reality is, is today it is simple, but it's not surface. And I think sometimes we get into this simplicity of gospel thing that all you have to do is say a sinner's prayer and in your mind, you have to concentrate real hard and go, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ was, was risen from the dead. Yes, it's that simple, but it's not that surface. And there's a reason the apostle Paul uses the head and the heart when he talks about this. And I was getting my heart kind of wrapped around uh, what God was saying in Romans chapter 10 this week. And I, I, I kind of, felt the beginning of it where the Apostle Paul talks about stubbornness and then he kind of leans to this place of confession and belief and surrender. And in thinking about that, I was thinking about just the, the reality of, of you and me and the reality of the way that we operate here on planet Earth. Stubbornness is a part of our human nature and part of our brokenness in the way that we operate. And we know what it's like to be stubborn. You know, today really is about surrender, like Beth said, but it really starts with the lack of surrender, doesn't it? and stubbornness and how we don't want to move towards something, how we have our own idea. We know and believe and think what's right. And we see that with our kids at a very young age, don't we? Like the stubbornness. I mean, it, it just happens. Some of us are going, yes, we do. Yeah, we get it. And um, so my kids were all stubborn, but you know, some a little bit more stubborn than others. I think my daughter Ella's here. She is wonderful, beautiful, loves Jesus. But man, she was stubborn. 
Like we say strong-willed and she's persistent. She's going to be doing, she's going to do something awesome one day, which is true. But the reality is it's just a soft way to say that was a stubborn child. And when she was little, I think she was about three or four, my wife had just taken something from her and Ella wasn't one that would just go quietly into that good night. Uh, she would be the one that you're like, we cannot take her to Target because she's going to want something and then she's going to be loud about it and there's going to be security cameras and we're not going to be able to punish her and it's going to be awful. She's going to put us in prison, you know, that kids sometimes do. Um, but she's wonderful and beautiful. I love you, honey. Um, but the, the reality was that she, like if you take something from any kid, they, they get upset when they want something. In this particular time, she wanted something. And she wasn't going to get it. And mom was not going to let her have it. And she was ticked off, stubborn, just angry and frustrated. And my wife trying to console her said, hey, aren't you, you know, I know, I know you, that's upsetting to you. You know, talking, about, talking to a three-year-old, that's upsetting to you. And, 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 and that's, you know, I know you want that, but aren't you excited? Aren't you looking forward to going to see your best friend, Grace? And she goes, no, I'm looking backward. And I, I love that statement because I, I think as adults, we understand that. As adults, we, we tend to, when, when actually the, the better thing is in front of us, in, in the kingdom of God and in, in biblical surrender, the best thing for us to do is to surrender to Jesus, to move towards Jesus. But we don't, like, we see this other version of surrender. Surrender look to us as humans, it looks like giving up. Like we've lost the fight. We've lost the battle. We were in the good fight. We were doing our thing. And now we've got to hold up the white flag of surrender. But as we'll see here, there's a, a, a different picture of surrender when it comes to surrendering to Christ, when it comes to us giving our lives away. For us, surrender means that we, we have to come in contact with something that we don't want to come in contact with. I mean, as adults, we know what it's like to be stubborn. Like when people have fractured relationships, people that maybe they liked each other at one time, or maybe they just didn't like each other. Like, hey, they were in my class or they were somebody that went to my school or they're somebody that I work with and I just don't like them. I don't want to be around them. Or we used to be friends and this awful thing happened and we don't talk anymore. And what will happen is stubbornness will build up, right? Between two people. And, and I, this has happened multiple times. I've, stories like this. I, I mean, it's just like there's a big gathering or a big party or a big event, something that you do not want to miss, like nobody wants to miss. And then one of the people in this disparate party says, is, is Sally going? Is she going? If she's there, I'm not going. I don't care how nice it's going to be. I don't care what it's, what it's going to be like. I will not be there. And the stubbornness actually keeps you from the awesomeness. Like, I'm so not going to, I, 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 I don't want to see them. It is so deep rooted in us and so, so much frustration that we would rather look backward than forward. And what the Apostle Paul is trying to lead the Israelites to, they are stubborn and they are frustrated. They're looking at Jesus as a problem. They're looking at Jesus and the resurrection from the dead and people saying that as stomping all over their religion, all over the things that they thought were valuable, all over the things that they thought were the valuable things that secure them, that save them. And the Apostle Paul's coming in. He's, he's trying to convince them that it, this is not about the, the rules, the regulations, and the legal system that you've set up for yourself and continuing the, the system of laws that God had put in place, that we're all leading to Christ. You've made some mistakes. You've made the, the legal system that God put in place to show you and reveal your sin. You've made that your savior. 
And the reality is, and we'll see this today, is that we all have a legal system that we, we stick to, that we hold on to, that we bolt on to our lives that we think is going to save us, whether we do that consciously or subconsciously. I mean, you look at this passage right here. If, if, you, if you move beyond where the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10 is talking about the stubbornness of the Israelites and why they're not coming to Jesus, he said, they're literally trying to, to ask the question, who's going to go down into the earth? Who is going to be risen up? He says, you, you're, what you're doing is not going to go down into the earth. It's not going to raise Christ. He's done all of those things for you. You can't force his hand with anything that you've done. You needed him as your savior to do it all for you. And he goes on and he's trying to convince the church in Rome and everyone to believe the simplicity of the gospel but understand the depth of the gospel as well. He says, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. It's right here. It's right here, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart one believes and is justified, meaning you are now just before God. You are no longer condemned in the courtroom of your sin, but you are justified. With, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I mean, it doesn't get more simple than that. I love Romans 10 because it's like, I think we've gotten away from that in some ways. Like people just, you, you ask somebody, hey, at what point did you confess? At what point did you believe? And people will often say, oh, I just came in, you know, I just, I've always been in church. I've always been. But no, at what point did you actually make this move? But on the other side of the coin, I think we have to ask this question. If I just say this prayer and, 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 and concentrate real hard on believing in Jesus, am I saved? You know, the card that I handed into the deacon are the words that I wrote on that card. Is that the thing that's saving me today? I mean, if that's what we believe, then we're in trouble. Because as simple as that is, it's, it's, it's not that surface. There's a depth to what's going on here. There's a depth to what the Apostle Paul's talking about. There's a reason that Romans is so long. It is a long letter. And it, it is known as the, the most detailed and beautiful treatise of the gospel. So it is not just relegated to verses 9 and 10. And just this idea, this cart thing that you do, you were at church and Pastor Ted gave a good message and you thought, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to sign the card and next week they're going to baptize me. I'm not sure what that's all about, but I'm going under the water. So I, it may be they're cooling me down because hell is hot. I don't know what's going on. If we think that is the depth of our salvation, man, what a tragedy that we've missed something. So the apostle Paul uses this language for a reason. And there's a reason that just saying those things doesn't save you. Do you know why? Well, we can use the Bible very clearly to, to re refute that you can just say the words, say the prayer, and it's done. If you just say the words and believe these things, then it's done. Do you know why? Luke chapter four, Jesus casts out demons. And guess what they do right after? They proclaim loudly, you are the son of God right in the book of James. He says, don't, don't stand on some cart thing that you did, like some surface thing that you did, you know, as a religious person. 
Because even the demons believe is what it says in James chapter two. Luke four, James two, you can write them down, look them up, put them, put them in your reference notes. So what does that mean? You know, Paul's saying, just confess and believe. Say with your mouth, confess, believe, and you're gonna be saved. But the demons believe. Some of you are like, Derek's just kind of pulling apart my salvation. This isn't nice. But the good news today is that we want it to go deeper. We need it to go deeper. Our heart is dying for it to go deeper because many of us in the room, including myself, can find ourselves bound up in slavery to old saviors that, that we don't even know we're connected to because we've forgotten just how good Jesus is. We've forgotten just how deep and how cleansing and how amazing it is to worship Jesus and surrender to Jesus fully. As we dig in here, I, I, I had to break down. We're just going to look at a couple of words and then one word that I think culminates with these two words. And it's confess and believe. When you look at the word confess, what it means in the Greek, it can mean proclaim. But what it means in this context is to concede, to not refuse. It's different. It's not just saying something, it is confessing something. And what does confessing mean? It means conceding something. It's saying, I was wrong and he was right. It's saying, I, I, I have to give something up. I'm laying my life in a particular direction. It is a concession. And then belief, the depth of belief is way beyond what, you know, just this idea that, you know, I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross of my sins and that's why I'm going to heaven. But it's really believing that he was raised from the dead, that he is sufficient to save that he is absolutely trustworthy with, not just, not just with these words, not just with this card that I filled out, not just with my religious life and going to church once a week and trying to figure it out, but he's, he's trustworthy with everything. In fact, what he's asking for is for us to relinquish everything, to take everything that we hold dear here on planet earth and lay it at his feet and say, Jesus, we trust you with it. Whether you, whether you allow me to hold that in my hand and steward it or whether you take it away, I trust you with all of my life. That's belief. So when we take this confession, when we take this belief, I say right there, what, what is the Apostle Paul teaching us? Surrender. He's saying what, we want, what he's asking the Israelites to do is surrender all of that stuff. You need to surrender to Jesus. This is all surrendering. It's, it's letting go of what hasn't saved you and clinging to and surrender to the only thing that can save you. So if you confess plus belief equals surrender. And this doesn't just happen in the head. This isn't something we just think about intellectually. It happens in the heart. And what do we say about the heart? The heart is deceitful above all things. And this is where God comes into the heart comes into the emotional side and the spiritual side of who we are and rearranges things, heals things and restores that brokenness, restores the, the lies of the enemy that lead us down other roads to false saviors. So we're gonna, we're gonna just talk a little bit about this idea of surrender. And I, when I think about surrender, I do always think about worship. Like I, I think about the fact that the apostle Paul what he's doing in leading them to surrender is he's leading them to worship all through Romans. I mean, even in Romans one, he says, your issue has to do with worship. You have worshiped the created things and elevated created things over the creator. You've not let the creation lead you to have your eyes roll up to see you are the one that created these things. 
and I glorify you. Every time I put amazing food in my mouth, you were the one that created this. Thanks be to God that you gave me cheese because I love cheese and it's fantastic. You see, the Apostle Paul is leading them to worship. I, I say to our team here all the time, we are a collective. We are not, you know, you've got the, the host that comes and greets everybody and you've got the worship leader and then you move on to the preacher and we all individually have our pieces. When is it my turn? No, we are doing this together. We are all worship leaders here today. We are all, we, we want to lead our own heart and we want to lead the hearts of the people up Mount Calvary to see Jesus because that's when worship happens. True worship and true surrender when our eyes are open. Matt Redmond says, worship is not about singing. It's not about trying to figure out, you know, can we play the right chord and make sure everybody, you know, is the kick drum loud enough and driving people where the hands go up? But worship is not about singing, it's about seeing because if the people see and their eyes are open, they will sing. That's why when we sing those songs about the cross and his blood poured out at Calvary, there's something that erupts in the room. And for somebody that's not a Christian and not a follower of Jesus trying to figure it out and, and is in the, in the room, they feel that. And that may be you today and you feel that, 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 that momentum of, of God because there's something in your heart that's always been leading you home. And that is a sovereign God that has been calling you home. And so the Apostle Paul, I love thinking and framing as I look at Romans as him being a worship leader. He's leading us to worship. Surrender and worship are so, so connected when we think about it. So why is it hard for us to worship or why is it hard for us to surrender initially, like giving our lives to Jesus initially? And why is it hard to surrender daily? Like for a Christian, like it doesn't end there. Because it it's not like I just, I, I gave my life to Jesus and then I'm going to go back to work and I'm going to go back to life. And then good thing, well, I'll, I'll see you later, Jesus. We'll talk when I get to heaven. I'll be real thankful then. But now I got I to gotta buy a bunch of stuff. I, gotta, I got things to do. I got a family to deal with. I got people. And we'll just, no. There's, he says, pick up your cross daily and follow me. I mean, when he had the disciples that followed him, they gave up everything to follow him. Drop your nets, drop everything that you have. They said, what do I do with my family? He says, hey, it is about moving in this direction and it will be the best thing for you to give up everything to follow me. And eventually their eyes were open and they saw the value in that and they followed him into death. So why is it hard initially and why is it hard to surrender daily? Well, it's hard initially I mean, it's, 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 I've got a few here. There's so many different think, reasons. I think I mean, you could probably think of your, their, your friends and the people that you know that have a hard time with Jesus. Now, a lot of people love God, you know? I mean, a lot of people are like, you know, God's awesome, you know, but everybody's got their own way. I mean, Oprah loves God. There's a lot of people that love God. But this idea of saying Jesus is the only way to salvation. And Jesus himself said it. I mean, so if you follow Jesus and other people are like, it's fine that you follow Jesus. Well, I just want to let you know that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And there's no way into the kingdom of God, no way to the Father, but by me. That was pretty clear. And he didn't like mince his words, which Jesus never really did. He's the only way. And the thing that, I, that, that in our culture, I think that, that keeps people from making the decision to follow Jesus, first, it's pride. Like, I, I, I feel like I'm okay. Like somebody that doesn't know Jesus, and I've had these conversations, it's like, I don't need, I, I, I'm not that bad. Look at me in comparison to other people. If there is a God, he, he kind of likes me. You know, he's, he's, it's, I'm, I don't need a savior. 
Several years ago, I was talking to my wife's uh, cousin. When she, she loved religious conversations. She would get in them. And I still think God's still pursuing her today. But she always got frustrated in the conversation saying, I hate that you two look at me as though I need a savior. Like you're always just feeling sorry. For, I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me. I'm fine. Like, don't feel sorry for me. I feel like Christians are always like looking at you and from, from a vantage point of, I kind of I feel sorry for you. you know, t- the idea that I need a savior seems ridiculous. And at the time she had a kid and she's like, my baby, you're telling me my baby needs a savior. Look at my child. My baby doesn't need a savior. And she was offended by it. And I'm thinking your baby doesn't need a savior. Give it a minute. They will. You'll see 18 months will come around and you'll be like, good Lord, I need a savior and they need a savior. But there's pride involved in that. Not wanting to surrender to something that you don't understand or that you don't know or that you don't think you, you need. I mean, that just getting to the point where people realize that they're sinful and they need a savior, sometimes it's tough, but honestly, it doesn't take that long. I mean, to think we are all, we have all fallen short of the glory of God in our sin, right? Every single one of us has. I mean, the apostle Paul says it and we're like, yeah, some people are better than others. No, you, you think about what you've done in a short span of time. I've said this many times. If we took your week, like your week long record, Christian or non-Christian, and we, we said, okay, everything that you've done publicly or privately, everything that you've said, thought, everything that, we're just going to take it all And we're going to make a video of it, like mental images and video of everything that you've done the last week. And we're going to show it on the Jumbotron and we're going to watch it while we eat popcorn. I mean, you would, if you were in the room, you would leave. You would would hang your head. Every single one of us would. We would feel unbelievable, overwhelming conviction for our sin. We would be embarrassed and we would feel shame. But we take whatever we can. And what do we do with all that? We cover it. That is not going to be public. You know, that's just not, nobody needs to see that. And we create, we, we create ways of surviving here on planet earth without feeling that shame for our sin. But eventually it gets uprooted, hopefully, to where we see we all need a savior. So pride is one of the blockades. The other one's preservation. And we see that this prevalent in our world today is the, the belief, I was in this zone for a long time. My view of Jesus was, Jesus is gonna take stuff from me and the rest of life is so fantastic over here. Why would I ever follow Jesus? Like, I wanna preserve my life. You know, I'm, a young, I'm young, I wanna go do these. This is a whole bunch of stuff I wanna do. It seems like they don't let you do that stuff in the world of Jesus. So I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna fun and pleasure and that kind of stuff. That's, what I'm, that's where I'm headed. Why would I do here? Jesus has come to take all the fun. He's come to take things from me, not give something to me, which is a lie from the enemy. That is the lie the enemy wants to preach over and over and over again. You will lose your life. You will lose your identity. There's so many people that they worry about following Jesus and becoming a Jesus follower because they're like, they have something that they've made their identity. Like, this is who I am. And, I'm, I'm, and Jesus is going to make me lay that at his feet. This is who I've made myself to be. I was born this way or I look this way or these are the things that I do in life. This is the group of people that I associate myself with. And that's my identity. This is who I am. And I want to preserve that. And I don't think Jesus is going to let me keep that. 
And Jesus wants to give you something. He wants to give you life and not take it away. The other thing is people. This is a big one because I think this is one of the reasons that that people either they don't follow Jesus or they make Christianity something that it's not because they want to make apologies for it. I mean, that, that happens in our culture. Somebody takes the word of God, takes the gospel, and they twist it so everybody feels okay and everybody, can't we just all get along, right? It's 2020. We got enough going on, right? But people, because us saying yes to Jesus, us saying, us moving towards Jesus and saying yes to Jesus is saying it's, it's saying everybody else's way is wrong. And it is. Like, he said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It, this is the way that it happens. Jesus, we say it all the time in here, Jesus saves and nothing else does. We say it that boldly for a reason. And when we move in that direction, our fear is, if you're not a Christian, is that all of a sudden it's taking all these people that may be my friends or my family members, and you're, you're saying, my beliefs are different than yours. And people are competitive. They may make everything all about them, you know, and it becomes this big tug of war. It's how families break apart because of religion or Jesus. It's, there's friendships that dissolve because of religion or following Jesus. I mean, it's, it, there's a frustration that happens when other people believe something that you don't. A, a friend of mine gave me the best example. And it was a real example. He said, I was out with a bunch of families. We were out for the day. And um, it just made me think how frustrated it, you are to be on one side or the other when, when, it, when, when it comes to what you believe about anything, even something as simple as ice cream. And he said they were out and about with, with uh, four other couples cruising around, doing a, a fun family day. And it was getting later in the day and they had about three more hours of what they were doing and kids were starting to fall apart. I mean, they're starting to just dismantle. Uh, and, you know, one of the, one of the couples, the, the husband said, you know, let's get him ice cream. I mean, he's just a he's strategy man. I like it. He's in it. But the problem with that is, is you're with three other couples. They don't feed their kids ice cream because they don't love them. Um, I'm kidding, but you know, there, there's no processed sugar, which yeah, their kids are going to live longer. I mean, they'll be miserable, but they'll live longer. So he, he comes up with this idea and obviously he sees like the obvious, like, uh, don't, don't bring it. Now he's already said it and let it out into the world. So all the kids are like, oh, you know, they're looking like that is a fantastic idea, especially the ones that have only had like kale burgers and stuff. They're like super amped about ice cream. And then he, he just doesn't care. He's like, dude, I'm, I'm just going to just barrel right through this and get my kids ice cream. And the other ones are like, would they, I mean, they weren't going to do it. And so what happens next? You got two kids licking the ice cream. And then the other eight kids are going, Aah! I mean, they're just, it's just terrible. And he's telling me this story. He says, they were, he goes, I've never seen, he goes, you could take like, you, you could be, you could vote for the worst police because they were more mad than anybody has ever been about politics or religion over ice cream because of the, what the implications of it. And the reality is here is that people, when we look at who they are, there is, there is a cost when we follow Jesus. And we, we want anyone and everyone to come and like to, to realize and see that Jesus is the unending ocean of grace and they're, they're being invited into that. But we also realize that people 
in the world have different belief systems. And no matter what, just because we believe in Jesus, they're going to be pushing away from us. And that brings fear. That makes people twist the gospel, makes people do a whole lot of things to make it palatable so that they can actually step into a relationship with Jesus. But that's not the Bible. It's not surrender. It is not what we're looking at. So why is it hard to surrender daily? Or why is it hard to surrender initially? It's, it's pride. It's, it's preserving your lifestyle. It's, it's, it's preservation of your identity. And it's people, you know, wanting to be liked. And what's interesting is the reason it's hard for us to surrender daily as Christians, there's similar things. Like the self-reliance is the first one that I have here. So why is it hard to surrender daily? Self-reliance. Things are working just fine. Why do I need to surrender daily? When I say surrender daily, I mean like I'm giving all of my life to Jesus. Like not, I go to church because it's a good, you know, I want my kids to be in church because they, you know, they meet Christian friends and we should be in church, you know, a little bolt on Jesus. And then I go back to life, earning the money that I love to earn, doing the things that I love to do, having the success that I want to have, doing, creating the environment where I can control everything, where I can lock everything down, where I've got a way to save myself. I got a good backup plan. Yeah, Jesus is good later on in life when I'm 90 years old and I'm about to you see him in glory, you know? But right now I need a savior. I need finances. I need security. I need control. I need a lot of things to hold me up. Yeah, Jesus is a good idea. We'll put a little, we'll brush a little bit of Jesus in our life. That is not the surrender that Jesus is talking about. I mean, he, he, he's saying, give it all. I want it. All. He's saying you, the, the best thing for you to do, because if you rely on that, it is like shifting sand. I mean, what does he say to the rich, rich young, young ruler? He said, he says, how the rich young ruler is asking Jesus, Hey, how do I become a Jesus follower? How do I be, how do I get into the kingdom of God? You know, which command, which one do I follow? How do I do this? He says, sell all you got or give away everything that you have to the poor. And then you can follow me. And what does the guy do? He hangs his head and he walks away because for him, the cost is too high for him. What he saw as a savior was not Jesus, but the things that he had built up for himself. Jesus wasn't saying, I just want to let all you people know, I hate rich people. That is not what he was saying. He was getting at the heart of the man saying, you've made something else, your savior. You've not surrendered to the idea that I am it, that nothing will save you outside of me. You've got a lot of other things as your foundation. You've got a lot of other things that are holding you up. You're holding things back. You want to be secure. You want to be on the island. What's crazy about that is this, Jesus is not inviting us away from something awesome. He's, he's inviting us away from a life of the safe land-based life into the unending ocean of grace. And I always think of the mental picture of my, when my kids were little and their nervousness and in coming into getting in the ocean. Like they, they, don't, they don't trust it. They can't see the bottom. They know that there's sharks in there. They know that there's danger in there. It's beautiful, it's blue, but it's unknown. And what do you have to do as a parent? You gotta beckon them in. You gotta, you gotta tell them, I will, if you surrender to me, I will take you in there. If you surrender to me, if you just give up and, and quit standing your ground and you give me all of you, I will take you in there. I will hold you. Your feet don't even have to touch the ground because I am the firm foundation. I will never lose the foundation under my feet. I will hold you, hold on to you. 
I will take you into deep waters that you could never go into on yourself. Is the ocean always safe? No. But is he always good? Yes, he is. And man, I feel like in, in the Western church and the American church, we're missing out on so much because we have to have things the way that we want them. We, we believe that we can create security and identity for ourselves. And we've, we've made it our savior when it's not. And the reality, you know what's amazing about 2020 is it's shown us that none of it, like it, it, it was a sham all along that we could have security. All of a sudden you got this invisible enemy. Nobody knows what to do. I'm looking at you right now. And I'm, I don't, I mean, don't, don't mean to laugh, but everybody got a mask on. You know what I mean? We don't know what's going on. We're like, we don't know. Is it bad? 6%, 10%. How many people are dying? I don't know how many people are dying. What's going on? And we all are just like, I don't know, but we're going to put on a mask when we go indoors. I mean, we know that security is just this kind of phantom. I mean, we live on the coastline of Florida. It's 2020 and the Atlantic Ocean is just blowing up. We are all going to watch the cone of uncertainty on the weather channel for the next like seven weeks. Like every time one comes, you're going to see the cone of uncertainty and we're going to, and it, it shows us that there's nothing that can give us security. It's that beautiful house that you love. That's a few blocks from the ocean. You've got the nice white picket fence. You've got the kids, you've got the cars that look like spaceships and everything's going great. And then all of a sudden cone of uncertainty. <sighs> I mean, it's just what we do. It's not that those things are bad things. But when they become our savior and ultimate things, we are in trouble. We have to take everything that we have. And Jesus may leave them in our hands to steward for his glory. You may be somebody that's wealthy, but he's saying, lay it all at my feet. Lay it all at my feet. And we should lay it at his feet and say, God, whatever you want to do with it, whether you want to take it away or leave it in my hands to steward it for your glory, but it's all at your feet. I want you to decide. I want you to have control. That's what he's leading us to. You never knew, like Romans 9 and 10, you know, confessing and believing goes this deep, but it does. Our self-reliance, we need to surrender it. If we confess and we believe that he has been raised from the dead, he is worthy of everything. Pleasure is the other thing. Why it's hard to surrender daily. We like pleasure and it works. Like we, we, we live in a time and a place where pleasure works. Temporarily, it doesn't stay in that place, but filling our cup temporarily with pleasure and not all pleasure is bad. I mean, we've got things that are, I'm not telling you that, you know, the, you, you are going to hell because you watch Netflix. That is not the reason. I mean, we, there, there is, it's great to enjoy life, to enjoy each other. There's things, God created everything that is good that you experience on planet earth. It's coming down from the father of heavenly lights to you and me. That's a good thing. But when we make it a savior, guess what happens? Fracture happens, right? Because sex is an amazing thing, but all of a sudden in our hands, in our control, it gets distorted. And we love pleasure because it, it takes away pain when, we are, when we're feeling uncertainty. We can lean towards drugs and alcohol Pornography is absolutely overtaking. It's the hidden thing that nobody really talks about, but it is absolutely infiltrating its way. And it doesn't start with just gratuitous, crazy stuff that, that somebody watches on a screen. It starts with an ad on ESPN or wherever where it says, hey, look what she looks like today. And you're like, oh, bing. And then all of a sudden it goes to another thing and then another thing. And then it's, you're in this vortex. And then it's not that week, but maybe the next week and then the next week and the next week. And then you look back 
and you wonder how you got there. You wonder how your marriage is destroyed. You wonder how your life has gone downhill. You wonder how the affair happened. You wonder how everything in your life has been dismantled. And it all started with, I need this. This is what I need. You know, if life gets out of control, I just dig into a little bit of pleasure. That is what we, and it does, it works in the beginning. Drugs work. They work, man. I mean, I'm not going to get up here and say drugs. They, they, you, you will feel terrible when you take drugs. No, you're going to feel good when you take drugs. I mean, you, if you methamphetamines, cocaine, you are going to look in the mirror and go, I am awesome. I mean, you are going to feel great. But you talk about a prison. You think it's freedom. But I'm telling you, you talk to the people that have been in recovery in this church. They will tell you the road and how slippery it is and how quickly it happens where you turn around and the very thing that you thought was bringing you freedom and making you feel better about yourself and making you, allowing you to survive is put you in the worst prison of your life. And I'm telling you, there's, there's so many drugs that are not, there are spiritual drugs that are out there. Things that we attach our lives to that we think will save us. We think they will free us and they will put us back in bondage. The Apostle Paul says religion can be that way. He says in Galatians, for freedom Christ has set you free. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. He's saying, be careful. You will walk back. Don't forget we're surrendering our lives to Jesus because that's where freedom is found. Pleasure works. We can find it in so many different places. So many different things that we can medicate our lives. We can try to, try to make ourselves feel a little bit better in the moment. But it's the prison that the enemy wants us to be in. And lastly, people, same in both categories. Why is it hard to surrender daily? People. And we can rely and depend on people. And, and this is one of the more heartbreaking things because we do. Community is good. We need one another. We need to gather as a church. We need to look around at each other and say, hey, we're all bound together. We are connected as a church. And when I'm down and you're up, you can help lift me up. And when, when, when you're down and I'm up, I can help lift you up. I mean, there, there is a beauty in the way that God makes the church. But if we, if we rely on a human being as our everything, we are sunk. We are sunk. We put our hope in what people think about us, how people can carry us. If I just have him, then my life will be good. If I just have him, everything will be better. Life will be, uh, that is a, that is a, that's the joke right there. I mean, I just met, I, we do pre premarital counseling all the time, Beth and I do. And we just met with uh, Gerald Tiano and Abby Fletcher. Come on, right there. So glad. I mean, I can't tell you how excited we are uh, that they're getting married December. I mean, Gerald, you can't wipe the smile off his face, that boy. Um, but we're talking to them about all these different things. And you talk in premarital counseling, just about leaning towards one another, you know, what it looks like to compromise and, and lean into one another and look at each other's personality traits, some good, some bad, that are gonna cause problems and kind of uprooting some things. But at the end of the day, if, if this gospel that Jesus saves and nothing else does is not at the center of your marriage, then it's doomed. Because if you look, if he looks at Abby, like she is gonna save me in every moment. And if Abby looks at Gerald and says, he's my everything, they are sunk because he is not everything. He was never meant to carry that burden and he cannot save. But for us, our daily surrender sometimes gets hung up in that place of putting our everything towards people. And sometimes it works. People fill your cup. I'm around people all the time. What, what's great, again, 2020 got us all separated. <laughs> Man, this, but what's interesting is I hear more and more people struggle in their relationship with God. They move further away in this 
season. Like they've had more trouble engaging with God and engaging with his word. And man, the enemy is at work in those lonely spaces that, that we've been in in 2020. But I feel like God is waging war on our behalf right here just with the simple gospel that he saves. The things that he delivers up are the things that rescue us. Paul's extending this invitation into more, not less. Surrendering to Christ is where we gain our lives. In losing our life, we gain it, is what the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians. When we think about surrender, you should see this picture that the Apostle Paul paints. Because when, when we think about surrender, we think about the white flag, we think about hanging our head, we think about shame. When I think about surrender, I actually read about the, the 10 most famous surrenders in, in history. And all of them are filled with shame on one side. Now they try to walk proud when they're handing their rifles down and doing their thing and the white flags up, but it's this shameful, humiliating process of hanging your head where you were in the fight and now you're not, where you were going to win and now you've lost. But this surrender is so different. And the apostle Paul says this in chapter or in verse 11, he says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. No shame. He's saying this is different. In this surrender, it's, it's different. Yes, we're holding up the white flag of surrender to Jesus saying, I can't do this on my own. I need a savior. Yes, it's confessing. Yes, it's believing. But look what's happening in, in this surrender. Number one, it's for everyone being invited into something and be invited into life. There's no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call to him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Surrender is so different with Jesus. It's so different. Think about it. The one that's asking us to surrender before you ever even thought about surrender. When you were obstinate, when you were stubborn, Guess what he did? He surrendered his life for you and for me on a cross. That's different than any kind of surrender I saw in history. And he's asking us to surrender, but not before he surrendered everything. He gave away his life so that we might have life. Now that inspires worship. That inspires surrendering our lives to something, doesn't it? He is worthy. When we think about the cross of Jesus Christ, when we think about what he's done, he's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of our everything. It's so different with Jesus. Coming to him, we don't come with our head hung low. I love the idea that when we, in our mind, we're, we're ready to confess and believe, we're like, I'm going to go, I've, I'm, I'm, I found Jesus. Or I'm going to go get religion. I'm going to go find Jesus. And as soon as we head out the door, guess, guess who's standing there? Jesus. He's like, I've been knocking. Behold, I've been standing at the door. Before you ever move towards me, I've been here. Yes, I'll come in and I'll eat with you. Different kind of surrender. 
not one that takes from you, but gives you everything. And the Apostle Paul, you know what he says? He says, yes, there's a cost. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, I've lost it all. He says, I had a good resume. I had a doctoral degree in theology. I was in, I mean, I was in all the good clubs. Everybody, people liked me. I had a crew. I was important. And guess what? I've lost everything. Everything that you would think is valuable and worthy on planet earth. And he says, but guess what? I count it all rubbish. I count it. It's a, it's, it's trash in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. I'm working in this for an eternal weight of glory. There is something that's, that's beyond this, that's more powerful, that has more beauty, that is, has more treasure than anything that you could find here on planet earth. Yeah, it might cost some. He's saying it's worth everything. It just, it's, it eats up at my heart in, in such a good way. This surrender, this gospel is not simple, or it is simple, but it's not surface. And God is right now in the hearts and lives of this church, the Christian community saying, you know what, nominal Christianity, kind of this, let's come in, sing, sip our latte, you know, cruise out, we'll go get to eat and we'll do, do whatever. I think those days are over. I think... Jesus has come in his grace and mercy by the power of the Holy Spirit in 2020 to say no more. We're not going to do this anymore. I'm coming to sweep all this away and rescue you in a way that you can't possibly imagine and beckon you into a life of surrender, beckon you into a life of worship. And if you don't know Jesus today, there's a reason that you're listening. He's been pursuing you relentlessly. If you felt something in worship today and you're like, I don't even know what this is, what's going on in here, but I feel something. That is the Holy Spirit saying, come home. There is one way and I've been after you all this time. And I'm just telling you right now, that's what today is about. For those of you that have known Jesus for a long time, maybe you've signed a card. Maybe you've been a Jesus follower. You've had this up and down journey with Jesus. That is so okay. But right now, I think Jesus is saying, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can surrender your whole life to me. Your life could look completely different. I'm just telling you, watch out, because you never know what, where God might call you in that. When you decide to leave the shore, when you decide to jump into his arms in the, in the, in the ocean, where the water's too deep for you to stand, it, it's risky, not safe, it's good. But man, the adventure that he's got for you is off the charts. It's so worth it. He's so worth it. Let's stand. God, we love you. We love that you call us deeper, that you lead us away from the shore to surrender our entire lives, not just bits and pieces, but to take our whole being, everything that we are, everything that we know about ourselves, everything that we love, and to lay those things at your feet. Just come, Holy Spirit. Drive us closer to the truth than we've ever been.